Good morning, Chelton. Hosanna, we've just sung it. Love that song. Such a good song, such an incredibly powerful word. I can almost picture you around your living room singing together, uh, waving your palm branches. Hopefully your palms look a little better than mine, kids. Uh, I'm not very artsy, but that's the best I had. Uh, welcome to Palm Sunday. If you have a Bible, I invite you to grab that. If you don't have a Bible, actually go ahead and pause this video and go find one. You'll want to have one uh, for our time together this morning. And once you've gotten one, uh, we'll turn to John chapter 12. Palm Sunday is the beginning of what we've famously called Holy Week or Passion Week. Um, and it's the week where Jesus walks into Jerusalem, the week of his crucifixion. All four gospel accounts record uh, this important day, and we actually set aside an entire Sunday every single year uh, devoted to celebrating Jesus as the King. And this morning, I want us to focus on one particular aspect of this important morning of Palm Sunday, and it's actually the aspect we just finished singing, and it's about this idea of Hosanna. Do you know what Hosanna means? Isn't it funny how sometimes we sing uh, certain words, especially in, in songs in church, where we might not even know what it is that we're singing? But Hosanna is such a powerful word and a loaded word in Scripture that I want to take our time this morning to unpack what that actually means. And my hope is that as we come to understand what Hosanna means, that it will actually begin to shape the way that we walk through life in especially difficult times, um, even like we're experiencing right now. In John chapter 12, which hopefully you're turning there with us, we find that uh, Jesus has on his way into Jerusalem. And he's already told his disciples that when he arrives there, that he will be killed, but that on the third day, he will rise again. And so we meet the story, we pick up the story as Jesus is on his way into Jerusalem. So hear the word of the Lord from John chapter 12, starting in verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come from the, for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And they took palm branches, and they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written. And he quotes Zechariah chapter 9. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Well, the people come out, they're in the city for the celebration of Passover, and people come out to meet Jesus, and they greet him, calling him the King of Israel, and they're greeting him with childlike excitement, waving these palm branches and shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And what they're saying there is actually a direct quote from Psalm 118. And it's, all of it really makes sense. Everything, we, we understand what's happening, or at least we understand the words through this whole passage, except for this word, Hosanna. It's not like a normal word for us to use on a regular basis. It's a Hebrew phrase. It comes from a Hebrew phrase that I'm going to do my best to say, Hoshiana. And it is this phrase that comes out of Psalm 118. So, if you would, take your Bibles, which hopefully you already have, and turn in them to Psalm 118. And as you're turning there, I want to tell you a story of something that happened last summer, which I think really embodies this idea of Hosanna. This past summer, 
back when we were allowed to be with people <laughs> in person, we were at some friend's house and we were swimming in their pool and we were just enjoying a nice time together. It was a beautiful day. We got out of the water to take a break. We had snacks and juice boxes and things like that. And our youngest got out of the pool and she took off her puddle jumper, which is that floaty that goes across your chest um, so she can float and learn how to swim. And she's sitting out and we're enjoying our snack. And a few minutes later, we realized that Cameron is back in the pool, except she didn't put her floaties back on. And she doesn't know how to swim without them. And she begins to struggle. She starts to sink, starts to go under. And it was amazing how quick Jolie was in that water. Mama bear reflexes kicked right in, those instincts. She jumps in the water, grabs Cameron, and lifts her out so she's safe again. And it was terrifying, I'll be really honest. It was really scary. Probably a little more terrifying for our girl, except just the other day when I asked her permission to share this story with you all, she didn't even remember this happening. So <laughs> I guess she's okay. But I want you to imagine for a moment that she's in that water, or you're in the water in that moment, feeling like you're going to drown. What would you shout in that moment? Go ahead, shout it out from your living rooms. What would you yell? You'd shout, help, save us, save me now, help me now. That's exactly what Hoshiana is in Hebrew. So if our family spoke biblical Hebrew, that's what our daughter would have yelled out. Help. Save me now. And I want to show you where I get that from. I want to show you how the Bible translates that in Psalm chapter 118. So Psalm 118, uh, if you want to turn there, I don't want to read the whole passage. I want to read just select pieces of it for the sake of time. But again, feel free to pause the video uh, if you and whoever's with you this morning would like to actually read through the entire psalm. Go ahead and pause and do that. But for the sake of time, I just want to read a few of the passages to give us a feel together of what is going on in Psalm 118. We'll pick it up in verse 5. Verse 5, the psalmist says, When hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I will look in triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Skip down with me to verse 21. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. In verse 25, we find our phrase. Lord, save us. That's Hoshiana. Save us. Hosanna. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You see, the psalmist has some sort of circumstances coming up against him where he's being surrounded and he's facing things that are challenging. And we don't know what those circumstances are, nor is that the point. There are certain psalms that are recorded for us that are connected to directly one-to-one -to, -one, to a corresponding event. Psalm 118 is not like that. Psalm 118 is part of a group of psalms that are called the Hallel Psalms. And it includes Psalm 113 to 118. And what these are is this is a group of psalms that are quoted at every one of the Jewish, of the three Jewish pilgrimage festivals, which means that three times a year, nearly everyone in the Jewish world, everyone in Israel, would come together at Jerusalem. It was crowded and crazy. One of those was Passover. But during those three pilgrimage festivals, they would quote and sing Psalms 113 to 118 on a regular basis. At least three times a year, everyone was singing these. 
And so think about all the different people who would be singing and crying out to God because of their circumstances and looking to God for salvation and rescue. And think about how that would change every year. Think about what you were praying for and what you needed help from a year ago today. I guarantee it's very different than what you're praying for now. Circumstances change. The problems change. The only thing that's consistent is the need to be rescued, is the need for help. It seems like that's essentially what it means to be human, right? Is to live in a constant state of drowning, (laughs) overwhelmed by something, anything, all kinds of different things. Because to be human means we're small and we're frail and we're weak. We're too small to deal with all the things that come against us in life. We are the ones who constantly cry out, save us, save me. For many of you, that's, a, that's been an ongoing thing in your life. Whether some diagnosis has been going on for, for years, or there's been breakdowns in, in relationships in your life, or there's some addiction or some ongoing struggle that you need to be saved from. And if you have somehow managed to live through life to this point and not feel like you're overwhelmed or you need rescued, well, I think COVID-19 has brought that home for all of us, right? Because the reality is <laughs> what the virus has done, what COVID-19 has done is it's uncovered our self-confidence and it's begun to expose us as those who really need help, who need someone or something from beyond us. We are not big enough to deal with the things that come against us. We are the ones now crying out for salvation. We need help. Because we're afraid of the unknown. The future is such a mystery to us. How long will this COVID-19 and isolation, uh, how long will this last? You know, what's going to happen to my health? Will I get the virus or not? Do I already have it and not know that I have the symptoms? Or just have no symptoms, I mean. What about the economy? Um, Am I going to lose my job? Am I going to be laid off? Or some of us have actually already had that be the experience And you're sitting there wondering, is what we have in savings enough for us? Or your retirement has just tanked and you wonder what's going to happen now because retirement's nearing you. It's really tempting for us to think that these things, these things from the outside of us, are the greatest enemies that come against us. But what's most fascinating to me is not the virus itself, but it's what the virus has begun to expose in us about us what's going on internally, what's inside of us, what's true of us. It's amazing how this is revealed, how fearful and anxious we are of just about anything and everything. Sometimes you have that that feeling in your gut, that gnawing feeling where you feel anxious or afraid and you really don't even know why. It's just there. You feel small. Or some of us, it's revealed this feeling of entitlement. Because we get angry when our plans are canceled and we don't feel like that's fair and it shouldn't happen to us. We get moody when we experience disappointments. It also reveals how judgmental I can be. I can be judgmental of those who are taking this too seriously and be judgmental of those who aren't taking it seriously enough. It reveals my insecurity of the decisions that I make because I'm constantly worried about what people think about me whether I go to the store or run that errand or not, or I'm insecure because I don't think my kids are going to learn anything under my homeschooling, or I just can't tolerate this and I don't have the creative energy right now for it and I feel insecure about all the decisions that I make. Or some of us feel that we're arrogant because we feel like we've got it all figured out. Right? It reveals on either direction. It reveals how lonely we are, how deeply unsettled we are with ourselves 
and we, how we stay busy just to avoid having to actually sit and be alone with ourselves. Reality is we need rescued, right? And it's not just from the things outside of us, but the greatest threat actually might be inside of us. I think one of the other things that COVID-19 is revealing to us right now is where we actually turn for, ref- for rescue, for salvation, for help. Because many of us work really, really hard at planning out every aspect of our day as, as a means to get control on it. Because everything's going crazy around us, so we try to grasp for control. And if that's where you are, if that's what you're leaning into to be saved, is your ability to control things in your life, well, that's clearly being exposed because none of us have control on almost any part of our lives. Everything's out of control right now. It's so tempting for many of us to go into, turn to all sorts of distractions to medicate ourselves from the reality that we are drowning, that we need saved. So we bury ourselves in our phones 24-7. We're browsing social media, trying to stay as informed as possible on the news, and yet all that seems to do is make things worse, at least for me. Or we turn to food and drink and drugs and, and whatever we can just to kind of medicate and get away from that feeling, that angst, that something is wrong and we're not enough to deal with it. We turn to Netflix or Disney Plus. Or we, we, this list could go on and on. I mean, what ways for you has this, what, what has this been exposing in your heart as to what you run to? And what's interesting is many of those things, all of those things I just mentioned, are all very good gifts. I love routine and structure as much as the next person. And I am super thankful for Disney Plus. It's great. They're good gifts. They're just terrible gods. They have no ability to save and deliver us from the things that come against us. It's like taking refuge from a hurricane in a little tin shack on the beach. It just can't withstand the weight. It's not strong enough. But I want you to notice in Psalm 118, especially if you read through the whole psalm, that this isn't just a random cry, please someone help me, but it's directed pointedly at God. It's based on God's character. The psalmist is looking back and saying, God, this is who you are, and this is what you've done. And because of those things, I know I can trust you. And because of what he has done and who he is, I'm going to continue to look to you, God, for salvation, to be rescued. He says, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than anything else. You, Lord, have become my salvation. You can hear it throughout the entire psalm, and this is a huge theme throughout all of scriptures and especially in the psalms, the songs of worship and prayers to God. You hear things like God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. We find rest and hope in the Lord, and he is our rock and our refuge and our fortress and our salvation. I won't be shaken. You hear those themes all throughout it. God becomes like a mother hen who gathers his chicks under his arms to protect them. You see, here's the thing about us as the people of God. We are not in any way immune to the sufferings and the difficulties in this life. In fact, Jesus looked at all of us and said, you should expect trouble. But take heart, be encouraged. I've overcome. Hosanna, save us. Lord, I'm too small. That's that's how Hosanna starts. But then when you turn back to John chapter 12, something is different. They're using Hosanna, but in a different way. It doesn't sound like they're crying out for help anymore. It actually sounds like it's a shout of praise. And that's because by this point in time, the phrase has taken on a whole different meaning. Words do that, right? 
they change, they transform with the culture and with, with, they just change meaning sometimes. We're reading Chronicles of Narnia as a family. We're actually at The Horse and His Boy. Great series written by C.S. Lewis in the 1950s. And here we are nearly 70 years later, and as I read it out loud, I find myself having to translate a lot of the words so that my kids can understand them because language changes. And that's exactly what happens with Hosanna. Listen to the way that author and pastor John Piper describes this shift. He says this, in Psalm 118, he says, This cry for Hosanna, Lord save us, was immediately followed by the exclamation, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This cry for help, he says, was answered almost before it came out of the psalmist's mouth. And over the centuries, the phrase Hosanna stopped being a cry for help in the ordinary language of the Jews. Instead, it became a shout of hope and exaltation. It used to mean, save, please, save us. But gradually it came to mean salvation. Salvation has come. And what's amazing and incredible and important for us to notice is that it's in the presence of Jesus, the Messiah, the King of Kings, that our salvation is realized. And the people shout that with excitement. Salvation has come and they're looking to Jesus. Because this is the gospel, friends. This is the grace of God in our lives. That while you and I were busy drowning in all the overwhelmingness of life, the things that come from the outside and the things that are inside of us, our sin, while we're being overwhelmed by that, looking to all sorts of other things and people to be rescued and saved, not looking to God, but in that place, God came and stepped into our lives. He moved into our worlds first. You see, Scripture tells us that no one seeks after God, but praise God, He is a God who seeks us. And He came towards us to rescue us, and that while we were still His enemies, God became like one of us, and Christ took on flesh and experienced the frailty of humanity. And this is the beauty and the mystery of Easter week, that Christ allowed Himself to be overwhelmed by the greatest enemies that every single human faces which is sin that results to death. And he allowed himself to be overwhelmed by those to the point of death, where it looked like on Good Friday and on Saturday that he was just like everything else we've ever turned to for help. He looked just as weak as food. He looked just as weak as Netflix, unable to actually deliver us, to rescue us and save us. He looked powerless. But spoiler alert, Sunday, on the third day, just like he said, he rose in victory over those things that stood against us. And scripture in Colossians 2.15 says that he disarmed them. He exposed them. He embarrassed them. Made a public scene of them, triumphing over them at the cross. And the one who is strong enough to defeat sin and death is strong enough to save you no matter what circumstances you come against. He is strong enough to put your hope in. He is the one to whom I want to cry, save me when I feel like I'm drowning. And he delights in saving us. See, he's not like us. See, if I still have to help someone over and over again, if they keep coming back to me, that's frustrating because I want them to just learn and grow and I want them to become more independent. But not so with God. He delights when his children come back to him over and over again in greater dependence, crying out to him more quickly for salvation from the things that come against us. 
He delights when his people turn to him for help. When we cry out, Hosanna, because we know that salvation has come in Christ. But as you look around you and take a look inside of you, does it feel like that salvation is here all the time? It feels incomplete to me. Because I still struggle with sin, and I know you do too. And suffering is clearly all around us. Which is when you have to realize that the Bible talks about our salvation in all three tenses. It talks about it in the past. It says that salvation has come through the person and the work of Jesus, through his death and his resurrection, in part. That you have been free from the fear of death. It has no hold over you anymore. That you have been freed from the control of sin. You are totally forgiven. You have been reconciled and made right with God. That is past, done, sealed for you in Christ Jesus. But it also talks about us being saved in the present. By the power of God's spirit, which he has put inside of us, he is still actively saving us, transforming us to make us like Jesus. And the Bible looks ahead to the future. And it looks ahead to the day in which our salvation, which has begun and has been guaranteed, we experience it in the fullest way it's fulfilled. And one day Christ has promised that he will return and he will fix all of this. That he's not done with his rescue project yet. And on that day when Christ returns, God is going to renew all things. He's going to create a new heavens and a new earth for us to live in. And Revelation 21 tells us that God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things, the things that is our reality now, has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. When will that day be? I don't know. None of us knows. But Jesus said it's happening, and I'm leaning into that. I'm putting my hope and my confidence in that. And in the meanwhile, as we sit between his first coming and his second coming, we are those who cry out, Hosanna, with both meanings. We are those who cry out, salvation has come. Salvation is found in no other person than Jesus Christ. And Lord, save us, because your salvation is not complete yet. Come, Lord Jesus, return, fix everything, make things right. Which means that in the meanwhile, when you begin to feel overwhelmed in this world, whether it's things from the outside or when you come face to face with the ugliness that's still in your own heart, no matter what the situation is, as the people of God, we simply know where to turn for help. We look to God and we cry out for his rescue. Let's do that right now together. Father, we are small and we are powerless against the things that come against us, that threaten us from the outside, and we're too weak to even transform and change ourselves. But you're not. You alone can rescue, and so we turn to you for help. Father, forgive us for looking to so many other things to do what they can't do, to do what only you can do, which is to rescue and to save You've invited us to bring our burdens, our fears, our worries, our anxieties, all the things that come against us, to bring them to you and give them to you. And so that's what we do right now. 
And we're going to have to do that again in a couple minutes and then again and again. Thank you for your love for us. And Lord, train us and shape us and make us a people who regularly look to you when any trouble comes. You are our refuge and strength. So Lord, save us. Save us from fear. Rescue us from our anxiety. Deliver us from our addictions, from our need to be in control, and help us to trust you. And Lord, come quickly. Come quickly and finish what you have begun. We cannot wait to be with you and to to live forever in, in the new heavens and new earth where there is no sin, no fear, no death, no sadness. And in the meanwhile, Lord, while we long for that day, bless us today so that we can be a blessing to those in our world who are desperately in need of your rescue. And we pray all that in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.